0: Hello and welcome to the Curious Cult Show, the show where I talk to incredibly interesting people about their obsessive curiosities. And kicking off season three, we have Mike Scott, all the way from Australia. We will be talking about why curiosity is hard, how it helps you evolve and shed who you were, why design by committee is bad, but consensus can work sometimes, and a whole ton more. This meandering conversation is absolutely one of my favorites, and I'm really glad that we kicked off season three with Mike. So without wasting any more time, let's dive right in. Um, Cool. So we are recording. Okay, let's get right into it. Mike? thank you so much for joining me on the Curious Cult podcast. It's 2021. Um, for posterity, I like to say the year just in case we don't like make it and the apocalypse actually happens. Um, so thanks and welcome. And how are
1: you? I'm good, Nick. And thanks for thanks for having me on. I, I sent an email the other day to somebody and I said, I gave them a date and I was like, can we meet on the whatever, the 6th of January, 2022? And the dude was <laughs> like, Dude, we're in 2021, and I was like, I think subconsciously I'm already just skipping this year so that we can just, we can just get ahead. So yeah, I hear you.
0: Ah, oh, cool. So um, Mike, as is tradition on the more than 50 episodes that I've done, I don't introduce my guests. So why don't you kick us off by telling us a bit about yourself?
1: Cool. So um, I guess from a business perspective, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Nona. Um, Nona is a company that designs and builds intuitive software for fintech companies around the world. Personally I'm really passionate about behavior modification, habit optimization as it relates to pretty much everything. How I parent my five-year-old daughter, how I show up for my wife, how I show up as a leader, how I train, how I do everything. I think it's all about process and habit optimization. I'm a prolific learner although I've never studied anything so I've got a matric and that's it but I'm absolutely obsessed about learning so I guess I'm Kind of unique there because I'm too ADHD to actually do a degree, but I just never ever stop consuming knowledge. Um, Love that.
0: We're definitely going to dig more into that.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, I'm the podcast host for a, a podcast called How to Be Moderately Successful because I think uh, I think maybe I can help people be moderately successful, but not massively successful. I've spent almost all of my life in Cape Town, but I moved to Australia about two years ago, um, where I'm now a totally fully remote CEO. Although. That's not really special anymore, I guess, with COVID. That's that's actually pretty standard being a remote CEO. It was special for a while. Um, And then last two things, I'm I'm on the board of the EO Adelaide chapter, where I chair the accelerator program. And uh, I guess when I'm not working and doing these things, I spend a lot of time on my mountain bike and walking in, they don't really have mountains here, but walking in the hills with my family (coughs) in nature. So that's me, I think, in a nutshell.
0: That's amazing. Um, I can't firstly believe that it's been two years since you moved to Australia, man. I mean, that's
1: Dude. crazy. Yeah, crazy, crazy. we were busy doing our application for permanent residency. And looking at those dates, I'm just, yeah, totally. I'm just like, that is nuts. It feels like six months.
0: Yeah. I mean, the older I get, the more I understand the theory of relativity. That, um, you know that feeling when you go on holiday, it's the longest drive on earth. And when you go home, it's the shortest. Yeah, uh, Yeah. it's it's crazy. Okay. Totally. So tell me, um, how did you end up where you are? Like, and I, I don't mean that in the big deep ethereal way, unless you want to go that way. But like, everybody's got their interesting story. And, and I, I think that I I feel like you've got one too.
1: Yeah, I think everybody's got an interesting story. I agree. Um, I guess I can answer that question so many ways. But I'll, I'll just answer it, I guess, from a from a business perspective, because it's probably the most relatable. So um, I, I didn't grow up in a family with lots of money. I'm, I'm the youngest of four brothers. Well, I have three brothers, there's four of us. Um, we were fine, but we didn't we didn't have a lot of money at all. I mean, we were six people in a, I think it was about a hundred square meter house. Um, so very loving, warm, supportive family, but not not lots of money. And um, I think the reason I'm saying that is that from a very early age, I think I realized and my brothers realized that if, if we wanted to sort of have things from a material perspective or a financial perspective, we're going to have to create them. They're not going to be given to us, right? And that's totally fine. I don't feel like I have less than anyone else. It was just a pretty obvious thing for us. So I started my first business when I was at school um, in Standard Nine. It was in tech, it was just a tech support business. It was boring and unsexy as all hell. But it did teach me a lot about business. Um, And fast forward, I exited that business, I don't know, like I think five years ago or something. And through that process, I mean, I learned a hell of a lot. Um, Wasted a lot of time, um, but learned a lot of lessons. And I met some very cool guys through that business who are now my partners at Nona. Um, And Nona has now grown on a foundation of trying to create the best possible environment for the people that we employ to work in, while also creating and living an environment that's not just all about work, which is actually really difficult. If you want to do things really well and have some kind of integrated life and balance, it's it's actually really, really hard. But that's what we try and do. Um, And I guess I'm just a person that is... I don't really ask for permission in general. I just do stuff, and then apologize, or figure it out, or, or bear the brunt of it, or, or suffer from it. But it's kind of how I've gotten where I've got. Is just I generally ch- like tend to just do things and then learn about them after that. Um, you can't do that when you start to scale the business so much. But it's certainly what's gotten me to to where I am. So that's that's where it is from a business perspective. Um, I guess from an Australia, being an Australia perspective, it's um, to the South African listeners. You know, everybody can relate to the, the crime in South Africa. I, I'm not one of the South Africans that's left South Africa and speak shit about South Africa. I absolutely love and adore South Africa. But when we yeah. had kids, we made a decision that we didn't want to be around such incredibly high crime rates. So I'm I'm one of the South Africans that really misses and is sad about not being in Cape Town. Um, but you've got to make decisions, right? So that is yep. how I came to be where I am right now in business and geography. Awesome. So
0: many interesting things that um, and this is the reason why I love to talk to people about their stories is things that you probably don't think are that interesting that I'm just completely stunned by. You say that you started your first business in grade eleven. That means you were like sixteen, seventeen, and you sold it only five years ago. Like, like did that. I hear that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Okay,
0: so I mean, it's insane that you built a business at the age of teens and then carried that same business through into your 30s?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is insane in in many ways. I mean, I'm I'm quite happy that I did exit and actually it was a turning point in in how I thought about businesses. So I had this like, you know, (laughs) any sophisticated business person listening to this is going to laugh or roll their eyes. But I had this amazing moment where I was like, Wait, what? This business is worth more than the money it is earning this month. What do you mean it has like a value as a business? Like I don't understand that. Like what do you mean? And yeah, I was like, yeah. holy shit. Like businesses have value as like as a thing. And that yeah. completely shifted my whole I mean, I was quite young when I realized that, but it shifted my entire mindset of like what a business is, that it yeah. has value in and of itself. It's not just about the revenue it generates. Um, but yeah, Nick. So I mean, I started young because, to be totally honest, it wasn't because I was some like super advanced entrepreneur. It was because I knew that there was no ways I was going to do a degree. So I was like, "Shit, there's no ways I'm going through four years, five years, six years, seven years of studying wow. because I, there's just no ways I'll do it." I'm, I'm, I'm very ADD. I will never work for anybody. I just don't think I'm capable of doing it. I don't think I'm really employable. So it wasn't a question of like super focused or disciplined. It was just like, if I'm going to make money, I've got to make money. No one's going to like do it for me or give me a job. And it took me a long time to stop regretting that decision. So I'd say for probably, I don't know, six years after school, I was like, shit, Mike, what have you done, man? Like Mm. all of your friends are now professionals. All of your friends have now got degrees. All of your friends have now got good jobs. Like you're a dickhead. Like you made a bad decision. Until it started flipping a little bit, until I actually started like maturing in terms of the business and then actually sort of catching up and then in many cases overtaking and having more time and more freedom and more opportunity. So, look, it took me a hell of a long time. I think, um, you know, if I did this all over again and it took me that long for that business, I'd be really embarrassed. I'd like to think I could probably do in about 18 months now what took me, I don't know, 15 years. But that's how we learn, right? It's just through getting it so wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And this is uh, one of my favorite statistics from research that was done maybe six or seven years ago is most millionaires in the world are minted after the age of 40. Yeah. And I believe yeah. that that's true because of what you've just said, not in spite of it, right? It's because you took so long to build your first business. At the second one, you're like, I know how to do this. I'm going to do it in 18 months. So I think that there is value and every journey has its, uh, its lessons.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, just to just to tap onto that, Nick, I'm, I've read a bunch of stuff around more specifically like tech startup founders, um, where the stats are crazy, that they show like the actually successful tech startup founders are always over 40. In fact, the stuff I was reading was like 45 plus. Um, and yep. the stats show that they've usually had three or four businesses, not necessarily failed. I mean, many of them have failed, mm-hmm. but the point is they've just had businesses. And, and I kind of see it now. I mean, I'm 38 and we've We just co-founded a business, a tech startup in Sydney, and um, my my brother, who's a little bit older than me, he's he's like the jockey, you know, with his with his brother-in-law, and he's a really successful entrepreneur. He's built a business, he's exited a business, Um, and it's just so cool watching it because the way that we're starting this business is just like we're just skipping years, you know. It's just like do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, and those are lessons that took me like five years to learn, and it's just like now it's ten minutes. And that's why guys who are charging $10,000 an hour as hotshot consultants that can actually do their work, pay them the $10,000 because they will save you five years when they're really good. I mean, I get it. For the first time, yeah. I kind of get it.
0: It's so interesting. I have been watching, because uh, I'm, I'm actually 36 this year, so I've also been watching people that are into their 35 and ups who are founding their fourth, fifth, sixth businesses going through the same experience. You're taking your school fees and you're just throwing everything that you don't need out and hunkering down on the thing that gets you to profits. And even more interestingly, uh, I was coming up in my entrepreneurial career in the era of Silicon Valley and funding and raising money off a business plan. And I've done that. I've raised money off a business plan. And most of the people that I know are like, No, thank you. We're going to get to profitability before we raise. We're going to build a real business. We're not interested in that just yet. Like you were saying, um, I love the idea of moderately successful because the idea of unicorns, I think is a passing fad. I think it's for a very niche kind of entrepreneur. Most of us just want to build enough. We want to have enough to live the kind of life we want.
1: Totally, Nick. And I think there's, I mean, this is a whole topic for an episode in and of itself is like, what is success, right? And I'm not going to try and Answer that question, because I mean we know this, you know this, success is is whatever you think it is. But there is such a small percentage of the world that is ever going to run a billion dollar business. It is such a minuscule percentage. And like most entrepreneurs, I know you also read a lot. I mean, you you are an author as well. I read an enormous amount, and most of the books are written by or for this ludicrously small percentage. And they're still super valuable. Don't get me wrong, I love them. But I just kind of think there's this whole Section missing in the world yeah. of literature that just says, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fill that. Like, if someone else must fill it, but it's like missing. Going, yeah. cool. How do you just build a, I don't know, a million dollar a year business or a two million dollar a year business? And how do you just race a mountain bike so that you're in the top ten percent, not winning the yeah. Cape Epic? And how do you run, yeah. you know, a half marathon in one hour ninety, you know, one and a half, like a, like a sub ninety minute, but not winning it? It's kind of this. It's this top maybe twenty to ten percentile stuff, which no one really talks about, um, in my yeah. in, in my experience. And actually, that's where most quote unquote successful people live, is in this kind of moderate realm. And yeah, it, it's totally doable. It's in reach for most people. And um, it's it's just the thing that I think about a lot, and and I'm actually quite passionate about it because I do think that it comes down to some pretty fundamentally simple things, things like accountability things like actually doing the things that you say you're going to do, things like prioritizing, things like following process rather than believing in goals. Um, Not easy things, but simple things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the things for me that I'm trying to help uh, people understand when they're starting out in business is consistency is actually more important than just about anything else. You just have to survive for 10 years and more than likely you will be in that top 20% that you speak of. And that's all you need. The, the thing that I love is so many entrepreneurs that you've never heard of have got $20 million in the bank. You're never going to hear about them. It's not sexy. They earn their revenue every month and they pull out a dividend and they just go about their way building a world. And like that's cool. It's just not sexy. Yeah. And we hunker down on sexy because of our egos. And that's totally. that's a fundamental issue for me. And I think it's an age thing too, right? I bet you I'm, I'm sounding like I'm a 36-year-old entrepreneur, but I bet you there are 20-year-olds who are going, screw this guy. He's such an idiot. I'm all about ego. I'm going to build a billion-dollar business. I'm going to have 1,000 employees. The thought of having 1,000 employees makes Ugh. me sick to my stomach. Ugh. Shut yeah. up shuddering at it. And as you get older, you kind of figure that stuff out. Um, so yeah, I, I I love the way you're thinking and it's very aligned to how I'm thinking too.
1: You know, Nick, just, just to share something, a bit of a funny anecdote, but, um, I, I, I've had lots of back issues in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm six foot five and played lots of sport and that's not a good thing for backs. So lots of chiropractor visits. And I remember one chiropractor, he was, he was just, he nailed it. He was, he's working on my neck for the first time. I'd never seen this guy before. And like in the middle of the session, just doesn't know me, never met me, but he can feel my neck's a bit stuffed and he's working with my back and my neck and he just goes, he starts, he says like 20, 25? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, how many staff have you got? Like I'd say 20, 20, 25. And I was like, dude, dude, our business is 30. Like how do you know this? And he goes, oh man, I can totally tell the number of staff people have by working on the knots in their neck. And I was just like, I know he's talking shit, but I'm still like, dude, I totally hear you. Like there's a direct correlation (laughs) between the size of the people that you are responsible for, no matter how amazing these people are. Yeah. So totally, the billion dollar business with a thousand staff, not for me. Awesome. Good luck to you if you want to do it. Not interested, one bit for me.
0: And and it is, uh, there, we, I want to go on a tangent quickly, but there there is the, the phrase that keeps popping into my head is know thyself. And it's taken me a decade of the last 10 years, that, that decade to actually know what kind of an entrepreneur I am. And I am a zero to one entrepreneur. I am not the one to a billion. I don't want to know. I don't care. When we get to $10 million in turnover, I'm out. I'm bored. That's not for me. I don't want to scale. I want to get you from zero to that first sale. Um, But I want to digress for a second. Um, If you have not, and if you're listening to this and like Mike, you have got back pain, specifically lower back pain and upper neck shoulder pain. If you have not read the book Healing Back Pain, go and buy it right now. Um, Mike, I don't know if you have read it. I've had lower back pain for- Dr. John
1: Sono. Dr. John Sono. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude, I can tell and you. I, I re- can tell you some crazy stories about that book. It's incredible.
0: Well, mine. I have had insane back pain. I couldn't. I couldn't sit at my desk for the last nine months. I read that book, and three weeks later, I've been back pain free for for a month and a half now. So, if you're listening, go buy the book.
1: Yeah, look, it's 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 borderline hippie mumbo jumbo. But just to <laughs> give, give <laughs> yeah, another story, I mean, I've so I've had <laughs> three herniated discs in my back. Okay, so like proper mm. full on stuff, like. Not being able to move for five days, like not move, yeah. and you know, getting very close to actually having an operation to to do all sorts of things. And Jeez. I mean, I, I've done everything. I've done I've done needling, chiro, physio. I mean, you, you name it for years. And then and then I found this book. Someone said, "Hey, Mike, there's this book. It's got the least original name in the world. It's called Healing Back Pain, and it's by like one of the most boring people you will ever read, Dr. John Sarno and just read it because it changed my life. And it's a dude who's had these things. So I thought, well, what have I got to lose? I found it extremely boring to read, but I practiced mm. what he did. See? And I shit you not, Nick, I was, I was bedridden. And this was a year and a half ago, oh. my last episode with the hernia a herniated disc. Two weeks later, I was walking around. Six weeks later, I was like, to my wife, I was like, George, I haven't, I haven't actually felt any pain for six weeks now. Yeah. Touch wood. I'm whatever, I'm 18 months down and it's, it's, it's pretty much solved. And I don't care if it's placebo effect because it's, it, yeah, it's helped, me right? So yeah, I, I, I agree, Nick. Like, it's, it's a great book.
0: Okay, good. Glad we cleared that up. Okay, so I am very deeply um, involved in this idea of ikigai, the Japanese concept of a reason for being. Um, not everybody believes this that you know you have a reason for for existing, and some people find one and some people don't. Where do you stand on the spectrum of having an icky guy?
1: Yeah, so it's a it's a word that's that's been floating around more frequently lately. I, I really like the concept. I think I resonate with the concept. But my answer is probably going to be a bit frustrating. Um, I fully believe in the concept. I fully believe that we all have a reason for being. However, I have no fucking idea what mine is, right? <laughs> and and why it's frustrating is because I like I'm not a guy that just keeps quiet in a room. Like I mean, I'll I don't mind speaking my mind. I don't mind dividing a room. And often, yeah. especially through EO, we go on these amazing um, events and conferences and what have you. And quite often, this sort of topic comes up. They don't call it icky guy very often, but they'll talk about purpose or they'll talk about values or they'll talk about these things, which in business I find quite easy to determine and live and and have guide me but in my own life i actually really really battle to genuinely articulate what my purpose is what my values are what my reason for being is and i often mm-hmm. just call bullshit on people around me because everyone defaults to you know family cool integrity cool honesty but then i'll go cool dude open your calendar show me what you're doing every day of your life for the last 6 weeks and your family's not on there so i don't know yeah. family is actually a value and all of these things that I've been on these seminars and these talks and these things, they, like I think they're great, but they start they start from the beginning where they assume you already know what your purpose and your values are. But in my mm. experience, only with me, like I don't, and I'm constantly trying to explore this. So, yeah. totally love resonate and almost aspire to have an icky guy. But if I'm honest with myself, I, I don't have a clue what mine is. Um, yeah. Well, tell me about your I, your view on it. Like, where do you sit on this? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because I, th- I think your, your perspective is pretty spot on. And I think it's part of the problem with the immediacy of the world of social media and FOMO and doom scrolling that we exist in is that we see everybody's perfect world when you think, oh, they've got their reason for being. They're an Instagram famous star person. And I think that that's bullshit. And I like you, I'm not scared of calling out bullshit when I see it. So my view on an icky guy is that it's your reason for being right now. And I think that that's okay. And I think if we had to reframe it, my career is littered with jobs that I've left, littered with businesses that have failed, littered with friends that I don't get on with anymore, with books that I haven't finished reading, with artists that I used to listen to, but I don't anymore. I have no problem in shedding my identity and becoming something different and new. I believe that the most interesting people in the world, which we'll talk about now, are the most curious, but they also smash together the most unexpected things. Yeah. So I believe that your reason for being is about now and it can change and evolve. If you're an accountant, it doesn't mean you're not a guitar player. If you're in a band, it doesn't mean you're not good with numbers. Like you don't have to have one reason for being. And I think we get stuck on that. I've, in fairness, I've spent hours with my psychologist trying to decouple my value from the thing I'm building because I think that as entrepreneurs, those things get clouded. And guy is part of this, right? I am an entrepreneur. Therefore, if my business fails, I'm fucked. And that's bull. That's absolute rubbish. You are more than what you do. You are the sum total of your experiences in the world.
1: Nick, I, I love it, dude. And I'm, I am I just, I mean, it's like you in my head. I mean, I, I, I speak about this quite a lot in, in various forums, which is, um, and I suspect we might go there today a little bit more in detail, but this notion of, not even like if my business fails, I'm fucked, but if my business fails, I'm worthless. I'm nothing. Right? And yeah. And even though cerebrally one might know it's not that, but emotionally it, it becomes that, right? And it's a very, very unhealthy thing. It's incredibly unhealthy. Yeah. And I just I love what you said about this because what I do practice a lot and work very hard on is just presence, just literally trying to be here and now. And I really struggle with this. I always have my whole life. As I've mentioned, I'm very ADD. I'm very much thinking in the future all the time. I catastrophize everything, but I work on it really hard. And I'm very fortunate that Mm -hmm. I've got a father who taught me to meditate when I was nine and he used to sit with me and just meditate with me through the stuff. And I've just worked on it my whole life and I'm I'm still terrible, quote unquote, at meditation, but I recognize the value of it, right? And you've you've actually really catalyzed this for me, is that in a given moment, I think I can actually articulate my purpose. And that's all it is, right? Because that's all that's real. Like not to get too esoteric here, but the only thing that ever is actually real is now. Like there is nothing else. There is nothing else.
0: I I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, I read a lot of stoicism and I'm sure that you do too and how to be present. And if you don't read stoicism, go and just Google Ryan Holiday. He will give you a great intro to stoicism, but that's basically what it is. The future is undetermined. the past you cannot change. The only thing that matters is right now. Um, It's a little bit nihilistic, but it's
1: how I like, to live. It's. I don't know if it is nihilistic. I mean, I because it's. Uh, let's not. Okay, let's maybe not go down that route. But like, like l- being clear on your purpose right now is yeah. for the greater good. It is for something bigger. It is for a purpose. Nihilism yeah. arguably is kind of the opposite of that, or, or the void of that. Um, hmm. I remember we, you and I, were having a conversation about this in some bar in New York. So probably after too many beers, but I remember you educating <laughs> yeah. me on nihilism, and then I'd, I'd never heard the word, so I went and read up on it. So I actually, can, I can thank you for that. Um, ah, nice. I, I think just for the listeners as well, because I've I've given this book to so many people, and it's helped me, and it's helped so many people. But Ryan Holiday wrote a book called The Obstacle Is the Way, which I know you know, Nick. But for the listeners what he's done is a great gift to to humanity because he's taken works from Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus and he's just turned them into the modern vernacular that's just really easy to understand. So yeah. um, just a second what Nick's saying, he, he's really helped me. I've given that book, The Obstacle is the Way, to probably 10 or 15 entrepreneurs where they've come back and just gone, man, this book has just Holy helped shit. me yeah. get over myself right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool, Mike. I want to push into um, the the actual core topic of this um, podcast, uh, curiosity. So I, the more I research, the more I read, the more amazing and interesting people I start to engage with, um, the more commonality I see around the idea of curiosity. The, the most interesting people I know are voraciously curious. You can't shut them up. You can't stop them from reading and researching. So I think my first question is, um, do you, one, consider yourself someone who is curious? And two, what sparked that curiosity? Do you remember a moment when you were younger that sparked that?
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, anyone who knows you, Nick, knows that that's your, that's your word, right? Like if, if you do a word cloud, I'm pretty sure that's that's what you're going to see with Nick, which is yeah. great. And I, and I love it. I love the message you're spreading. Um, I think it's probably my dad, but, but it's quite a strange thing to realize this because back then he used to sort of, my dad's a very interesting guy, and he, he certainly doesn't accept the, the status quo. And he sort of had a message to us growing up all the time, which is basically just don't just accept. Don't just accept anything. Challenge it, question it, find it out for yourself, be respectful in it, you know, but but never just expecting. And I remember, like, at a, as a young little guy, he used to say to me, when you believe something, you've limited it and you've shut off things from learning. So don't ever just believe stuff, accept it, oh, love it, that work with it, but be careful when you say, I believe this. And I remember also as a young kid, he was like, be wary of anybody that ever says, trust me. If somebody says to you, trust me, why are they saying, trust me? And I've always put those two things together. So in those days, you wouldn't have called it curiosity. You know, you would have called it, I don't know, like challenging the status quo or what have you. But I think he sparked it in me. I wouldn't have called it curiosity then, but I think now as an adult, it's just in my brain where like I, I never just accept the first thing ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever, ever. I'm always just like, even if I act on it, I'm just like, yeah, but I don't know about that. I need to look at it. I need to understand it. I need to pot it and probe, like, like probe a bit and everything. So I think definitely my dad sort of sparked it. Um, and then I have a cousin who's who's a just a super, super smart guy and um, very successful, really just next level smart. And I think he kind of catalyzed it for me because I just sort of watched him doing stuff with an incredible intellect and just this kind of, just this way of looking at things and just going, you know, he would see a thing and then he would act. And he would act always Mm -hmm. in a a curious manner. So he would pull apart his motorbike and rebuild it or pull apart a remote controlled car and rebuild it. Or as he's grown Mm -hmm. up, pull apart businesses and rebuild businesses. And now he's a super successful entrepreneur in, in the valley. And it all comes yeah. from the combination of, because of, curiosity is great, but if you're curious and super smart, which which he was, oh, that's just so what powerful, a combo. Man. It's just what a combo, right? Um, so yeah, and I love it. And I love the work you're doing, Nick, because I've, I've always thought of curiosity as, you know, just a word or, or, a, or a trait, but I think you've turned it into like a movement, which is which is awesome. Yeah.
0: And I, I think the in the time that we live in now, the problem that I have, you you've, you've I'm going to steal what you've said about belief, uh, what your dad said, because I think it's so fundamentally true. And you also said uh, when you were younger, you didn't know how to phrase this and nor did I. What what people, older people around me recognised my innate curiosity as challenging to authority. They always wanted to squash that. They were like, but Nick is so arrogant and he's so anti-authority. And I was like, well, no, you just can't verbalize why you believe what you believe. And yeah. I don't buy that. Yeah. So I love that you've said that. So you're right. It's like for me, curiosity, is just the stack that in the world we live in, if you start from a point of first principles and curiosity, then you won't believe the shit that Facebook is spreading. You won't believe the shit that Trump is telling you. You won't believe the shit that the extreme left is pushing. Like you will make your own beliefs with the facts that are around you. So for me, curiosity is just so fundamental it's to fundamental. being intelligent.
1: Yeah, it's, it's fundamental. And it, it just on the intelligence curiosity thing, you know, one of my business partners, Dave, is, is an incredibly smart guy. And I remember him telling me about the smartest guy that he knows. You know, Dave's like probably yeah. the smartest guy I know and Dave's talking about the smartest guy he knows and he said the one thing that always struck him about this dude was he just was absolutely fearless in the questions he asked. And I was like, "What do you mean?" You know, and I'm expecting these I'm expecting Dave to say what well, his questions were just so profound and so deep. And he was like, "No, dude, this guy would often ask like what seemed like the stupidest question. You know, he would just go like, Oh, um, you know, what is that thing? And everyone what? else would go, What what do you mean? Everyone knows what that <laughs> thing is. He goes, Well, I don't know what it is, yeah. so can you tell me what it is? And that was his whole thing, is he just reckons that's why he was so smart, because he just first and foremost was acquire knowledge over everything else. Yeah. So fuck your ego, get over yourself, yeah. get over everything, first and foremost acquire the knowledge. And Dave's like, This dude is without doubt the smartest guy I know, and I can't help thinking that they're related. Those two things like curiosity over ego.
0: Unequivocally. And to add to that, I, I want, uh, this is something that's taken me years and years to learn, is if someone can't explain it, they don't understand it. Oh, yeah. So always ask the dumb question. What do you, what do you mean? Why is it that way? Uh, because it is. Oh, I'm out. Why do you believe in this? Because I do. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm out. I'm out. Give me a reason. Completely. Uh, I wrote an article, I wrote a post on LinkedIn recently about the word fuck. And I said, "Why is this offensive to you? Just tell me why. Don't tell me it is because I know it is. Tell me why." Yeah. Three hundred comments, and not a single person gave me an actual reason yeah. as to why it is offensive. And then I'm not like then I don't believe you. Yeah. So I love that. Um, and and I'm gonna, you know I'm what? Push on. You know what? On
1: on on the fuck thing because I I do swear mm. quite a lot, but I but I do taper it in certain instances. So I guess I am a bit yep. on the on the um, offensive bandwagon, I guess, but. Mm-hmm. I think the answer to the question of why does it offend you is because somebody told me at some point in my life that it should offend me. And I will never buy that. I will never buy that. Like my parents never told me that the word fuck should offend me. They told me not to use it, but other people would say that's a bad word, you know? And and that's why it's the same, not to go down this rabbit hole, but it's like, why is money money? Money is money because the next guy will accept it from you as money. Absolutely. And I, and like you, I can't buy that too much, but anyway, we can move on. From yeah,
0: that. but there, but you know what there are. I, the more I do these conversations with people like yourself, there are these core principles that interlink, right? And you can't have curiosity without being willing to look stupid. You yep. can't be willing to look stupid without under, trying to understand the core meaning of why. And you can't understand the core meaning of why, what, or how if you're not willing to look at first principles. So there are these like flywheels that yep. play into each other. The core of them actually stems for me from ego. If you can shed your ego. Then you're willing to ask. Okay, well, maybe I don't know this. I'm yeah. a digital expert, but maybe I don't know about TikTok. Let me, you know, you know what I mean. Like that's totally sort of,
1: dude. I mean, that's the, the way these
0: systems work together.
1: She's become prolific now, and for good reason. But Brene Brown speaks about this a lot, right? She, she's oh. made the word vulnerability like she's, vulnerability. She's she's, mm. she's turned vulnerability into a movement, which is so great. I, I mean, her. I will I will yeah. present, and, and she poses a question. You know, she just says here's a statement, and I challenge anyone in the world to try and like prove me wrong on this. And she says it is not possible to demonstrate courage without vulnerability, vulnerability. vulnerability, And she says that she gives this talk to Navy SEALs, to Marines, to the Marine Corps. And to date, no, like it's something like 100,000 people she's given the talk to. Not one person has ever said you're wrong. And that's yep. lodged in my brain, that like it's not possible to be courageous without being vulnerable. And it's what you're talking Spot about, on. because to get over your ego, you've got to show vulnerability. So I, I love it, man. Totally same page, um, very difficult my- thing to live.
0: My favorite Brené Brown um, quote is: "Do not take advice from anybody not being bold with their lives."
1: Love it, man. Love it. I mean, in business, to reduce it down to something material and pretty mundane. But in business, that's a bugbear of mine: is when somebody is talking shit about somebody else doing something good or bad, but they're not actually running a business themselves. Like, don't talk about, don't talk smack about an entrepreneur unless you've been there and done that and are doing it because it ain't easy. Hundred percent.
0: Hundred percent. Okay, so uh, one thing I have learned about curiosity is that it it's not efficient. Um, I've I've worked hard over the last two years to construct a life that allows me time to read things that might be worthless to me. So every day I spend the first hour of my day reading a book that contributes to my work. Every evening I spend a couple of hours researching new topics. It's not efficient to be curious, and we live in a world of efficiency. So. How do you give yourself time to be curious? Do you actually think about it clearly? Like give me the practicalities of where you find the time to think and research and exist.
1: Yeah, so um, before I do, I just wanna share something, actually just for you, Nick, not even for the listeners, but Mm. in one of Tim Ferriss's latest um, shows, whatever, it's one of his latest podcasts, he's talking to, doesn't actually matter who, to be honest. And he just said something that's really profound for me is that he stopped, he's made a rule for himself last year that he will not read any book that has been written in the same year. So, and I was just like, uh-huh. whoa, well, man, that's actually so cool. And, and and then he goes on and explains really why, you know, and he says, well, I have to read a ton of books for my work and I don't want to read anything that hasn't stood the test of time a little bit anymore. And I'm kind of sure. considering doing the same thing just because I, I read so much. I read a book a week and I'm kind of going, hey man, I really like that. Like I only want to read shit that has actually stood up a bit against the world, right? So anyway, I'll just leave that with you because I I just thought of you. No.
0: I I want to roll on that because uh, just before you answer how you set time aside, um, I recently decided to do something very similar, but to add to my reading anything that is more than a hundred years old. So that sounds absolutely batshit crazy because it's hard. Um, And I started with the philosopher, Henry David Thoreau, and I read an essay from his that he wrote in 1863, Mike, 1863. And you know what the opening was? The opening was, the world is full of business. All I see around me is people who work, work, work. When will they start to live?
1: I mean, timeless, right?
0: That is 200 years ago, and we think That's, we're different. We think we're evolved, but we're struggling with the same problems, the same problems.
1: Totally, dude. And it's, um, okay, so to answer your question. Yes. <laughs> because so the world, you know, it, it is about efficiency, but I'm... <sighs> I'm beginning to wonder if that's the way that I actually want to live my life. I'm I'm super mm-hmm. ADD as I've mentioned a few times, which basically means I struggle to focus. It basically means I struggle to be in the now. I'm always thinking in the future: what's next? What's happening in ten minutes, ten hours, ten days? Um, but I do carve out a lot of time for learning. So usually, and it's school holidays now, so this is out the window. But usually, yeah. what that will look like is I get up pretty early. Um, I try very hard, I'm not going to explain my whole routine to you because that's not what you asked, but I try very hard not to look at a screen for the first two hours. And during that time, I'll generally go for a five kilometer walk and I'll be listening to an audiobook or a podcast or something. So that's one area where I am super dialed in, I get super inspired, I'm super high energy and creative nice. in the morning, I listen yeah. there. I mentioned that I mountain bike a lot. So just to give you context, at the moment we're training for quite a big race. So I'll ride four to six times a week for anywhere between an hour and a half to six hours on the bike. If I'm riding with somebody, we'll be talking about this kind of stuff. If I'm riding by myself, I'm Mm -hmm. just listening to content. I'm listening to podcasts, Mm -hmm. audiobooks, all of that stuff. So I try very hard to combine moving my body with consuming Mm -hmm. content because I find it works very well for me. I'm actually, because of my brain... If I sit down and listen to an audiobook, I won't nothing will go into my head, nothing. I've got to be doing something or it doesn't penetrate my Same. head. Um, yeah. So that, that's probably the biggest thing at the moment. I'm also doing uh, an online course, like I'm, I'm studying, sort of not studying, but doing an online course in, in the fintech space. Um, so I'll do those things pretty much nonstop. I'll, I'll never stop that kind of stuff. And so it goes and so it goes. So I guess I would say that every day I'm probably carving out between 90 minutes and four hours of consuming content, whether it's listening, reading, or what have you, but I'm very seldom just doing that. And I think that's the key. Sure. So it's the one yeah. area in life that I think is fine to multitask, walk and listen to a book, ride and listen to a book. Um, yeah. So hopefully that answers your question. That, that's how I manage. to it do It does.
0: And I think uh, I wanna comment on that for my listeners who think that that sounds like an overwhelmingly large amount mm-hmm. of time every day. I have yet to meet an interesting, successful, unique, fun, curious person who doesn't spend at least an hour every day exploring the the realms of their brain, just challenging the things they believe and reading things that are unique and different and interesting. Um, And I just, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I just wanted to say it's it's not always fun. And I think that's also important to understand this. It can can get quite scary and it can get quite depressing. Um, Because I've had moments where I'm like, just in business, just to reduce it down to business, where I'm like, Mike, you're you're not the right guy to lead this business anymore. Like, you know, and and then having to work through that, like, and actually ask my partners and and go, like, you know, are you like really are you and and objectively, and can you get your ego out the way to actually work through that and. Um, you might have realizations around your family or your friends. I mean, your friends, wow, we can mm. I mean we have spoken about this, you and I, but when you start yeah. to do this work on yourself, you're going to lose friends. You're going to possibly yeah. break up you with to. your spouse. It, it's in fact, going you to have happen. to. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, Naval Ravikant is my favorite thinker in the world. He is the guy mm-hmm. that I think has got the best brain in the planet, on the planet. And he speaks about this. He's like, when you start doing work on yourself, not not maybe, but absolutely you will lose fundamental parts of your life. Friends, spouses, yep. children like might disown you, like business partners. Like it's scary shit. But if you want to evolve, you've got to do this stuff, you know? And back to the icky guy thing. This isn't quite icky guy, but I do believe that we're put on the planet to evolve. And I think it's kind of crazy not to. It's just I mean, fuck, what a waste if you don't. And evolution comes with, like you know, pain. It it does, but it comes with more grace or happiness or joy or whatever you want to talk about. But we, you know, that's that's a whole subject.
0: No, and I think this is an interesting topic because I think that people expect, and especially again in the world where we have cell phones that have more computing power than put the first person on the moon, um, everything is easy. It's easy to access information. It's easy to talk to your friends. It's easy. But self-work is not easy. It's never going to be easy. Being curious is not easy. It doesn't come naturally to any of us. It's natural to be curious. It's not natural to act in a curious way, which means losing people who are not inspiring you. I mean, I I speak about this often and you and I know that, uh, and in fact, I've changed, uh, you might not have heard me talk about this recently, but you know that saying you are the five, um, you are the sum total of the five friends. I like to say the opposite, right? You are the sum total of the worst parts of the five people you hang around with because you pick up their worst shit too. So when you're doing self-work, you start to see, ooh, I don't like that that guy's arrogant. I don't want to be like that. Then it creates distance. So you do evolve and, uh, you know, Naval's right; Things are hard and they they should be hard.
1: I want to go even more subtle than that. Like Mm. when you're doing that, you're totally right where you go, oh, that guy's arrogant. I don't want to be part of that. What you're actually seeing is you're going shit, that's me reflecting back. And I don't yes. like that part of me. And that's yes. where shit gets real. That's where shit gets really real. Because we all know this. 100%. I mean, no one listening to this is going to hear this for the first time. But the things that irritate you most about other people are the things about you that you don't want to see in yourself. And that's where shit gets real. Like doing work with the shadow yeah. self. The question is, what are
0: you doing about that feeling? Are you shoving it down and hoping that it doesn't come up? Or are you addressing it head on and going, okay, I can change that?
1: Completely did, and yeah. you know this is no tech can do this for you, and it's the same in business, in your personal life, in your family life, because it's all just people, people doing shit with other people, yeah. right? Business is just yeah. people doing stuff with other people for now, anyway, until the AI machines take over completely. But, <laughs> but. It's it's all about human behavior and human interactions, and yeah. again, that took me a long time to learn. It's one of those obvious statements where mm-hmm. I was like, "What? You mean business is actually you know normal people? No, don't be ridiculous, you know." But then you realize, oh, hold on, wait, actually, what else is it? It's just people. It's just, just relationships. Skills. Yeah, yeah, totally,
0: hundred percent. And actually, on that point, it's it's a good um, segue into the next kind of focus. Is in business because your business is filled with people and you are such a curious person, how do you push this curiosity into your company? Like, is it a fundamental one of your beliefs as a business that people should be curious and they can speak up and say what they want and do what they want? Like, how does that work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look, I've got to tone this down. Otherwise, I'll just be speaking about this for the rest of the, uh, of the episode. But uh, you do you, man. <laughs> so cool. So, so yeah, in, in the business. So at Nona, we, we try to... You've got to be careful not to do design by committee because that's not a good thing to do. you know consensus yep. is not always the best thing. Often you need to sort of have idea meritocracy, sure and invite you should invite um, as much information as you can in, but often consensus leads to the the worst answer, not the best answer. But at Nona what we try and do is we're, we're still quite small we're like 30 people, so we're able to do this, but we invite as much feedback into everything as we possibly can. Sometimes we don't do it well enough, sometimes we do it pretty well. But that can be really dangerous and scary, right? not so dangerous, but it can be scary because you're sitting there as the CEO of a business or the leadership team of a business, you want to make a decision and now you're putting this decision out to a group of very, very smart people um, that you've Helped to become really confident to speak up about the stuff, and you can be heavily challenged in these situations, you know, which is quite difficult often from a yeah. um, like a change management perspective and a culture perspective. But it's absolutely necessary if you want to make the best decisions all the time. It doesn't make it easy. So what we do at Nona is a bunch of things. We ten um, percent of our time is spent on learning and doing things that is that are not paid work. We pay for people to study where we can. We buy so many books, I don't even know how to keep up, um, like digital books mainly. We, um, We really just try and help people to follow their curiosity as long as it's within the bounds of the business. You know, we're, we're not a company that's going to, we, we just. I mean, I wish we could, but we're not a company that's going to say, cool, we'll pay for you to go and learn these three languages, I mean, like spoken languages, and the guitar, mm. right? Like, I'd love it if we could do that. It's always got to be aligned with yeah. the business. Sure. Um, but I think, I think the main thing that we try and push is it doesn't matter what your position is, speak up if you think you have a better idea. And that's the message that we, that we sort of push all the time. you know. So every Monday I send a, a five minute video to the business just saying what my main focuses are for the, for, for the week, what I'm learning, what I'm seeing, what content I'm consuming, interesting meetings I'm having. And again at the end I'll just be, please guys hit me up if you want to challenge anything or know anything. Company wide stand ups, mm-hmm. Ed will run the stand up, we'll give it all out. Hey does anyone have a problem with this? Nona report every quarter, same thing. When we do our strategy weekends, yeah. we can't travel at the moment, but when we used to, we used to have a two-hour session off-site for anybody to join where we would invite anyone into the business to talk about a topic and have everyone feedback. So it's just this, mm-hmm. if there was one thing that I could pick out of it, it's instilling a culture of effectively like Ray Dalio's idea meritocracy, but really like to bring yeah. it to the rubber hitting the road of just saying, it doesn't matter what your position is. If you have a problem with something, or if you think it could be done better, or if you want to challenge it, you have a right. You have an obligation, not only a right, like you have to challenge it. Um, So everything else is kind of peripheral. That's what it comes down to. Mm. But let me just issue a word of warning for anyone wanting to do that that's listening to me be prepared to be challenged because don't put that out there unless you're actually prepared to take it. So when some intern comes in and says, Hey, dude, this is shit, don't treat that guy like shit. Say, Cool. Tell me about it. Why? I'm listening. Why? You know, argue about it. Um, and that isn't easy. Like I'm not going to pretend it's easy. Like you're stressed, you're busy, you don't have time, and now you've got a 20-year-old telling you that you're wrong. When well,
0: there's ego, there's ego. Uh, there's, of course, there's
1: ego. Yeah. 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 But the thing is, you might be wrong, so you should listen, because for me, it comes down to we spend so much time and money and effort and energy trying to get the best possible people into our businesses, and then we don't listen to them. Then we don't listen to them. So what's the point? So you've got to listen to these people because they're smarter than you. You know, um, I interviewed Paul Galatis from uh, Yuppie Chef, who's now got names and faces. And he said something to me that one of his mentors said to him. And this is just, I mean, I'm going to just repeat this one million times in my life, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But he said he got some advice. He said, you have two jobs as the CEO of a business. One is to bring people along with you on the journey, to sell the dream, to sell the journey. The other one is to make sure you're never the smartest person in the room. And I'm just Spotlight. like, dude, that's it. Easier said than done, but that's, yeah. that's it.
0: But again, uh, the observation that I have, and this it, for me it, it came with age, is there are systems that you need to get right. And the first system as a business, when you start bringing people on, is hire slowly, fire quickly. Make sure you have A players because if you don't have A players, then when you get that feedback, that is honest feedback, you're going to dismiss it because you know that they're a B player. You know that they're a C player. So if you don't have the best, then don't treat them like they're the best. That's the problem that so many of us make is we want the best. We want them to challenge us, but we know we haven't hired the best people. And these systems all play into each other. Like if you don't have the best people, you can't be honest. You can't practice radical candor. You don't get good feedback.
1: This shit ain't easy, man. The shit ain't yeah. easy.
0: Okay. So um, I'm curious, about, ironically, I'm curious about how you know what to focus on in your curiosity because there is only so much time in the day. There are so many things that you can research. I mean, I'm interested in philosophy and quantum physics and sports science. And what do you? how do you know what's worth your attention?
1: That's a great question. And I <sighs> I'm going to hazard an answer, but it's not going to be a good one. It's going to be all over the place, and I think that that is my answer. <laughs> that it's going to be all okay. over the place. So, um, <laughs> I think this conversation has been interesting for me because, back to the sort of ikigai thing of you know, your purpose is what your purpose is right now. I think that's how I kind mm. of operate now. I think I'm in a phase in my life where I am, I'm optimizing for financial means, right? And that's a difficult thing even to admit because I don't want to be thought of as a person that is optimizing for money, right? That sounds very shallow. It sounds very, but it's true. I am in a phase of my life where I'm trying to build financial independence for my family, for a certain type of lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. And it's been a difficult, just admitting that to myself has been a journey, right? But it's true. And I know that there's a phase in my life where I'm going to optimize for lifestyle and a phase where I'm going to optimize for family and what have you. But the phase I'm in right now as, as much as it even, I, I'm even cringing saying that out loud, Like, but it's true, I'm optimizing for financial independence. Now, what does that mean? It means that when I have an opportunity to spend time on something, it's going to be around that in general, right? So I carve out a lot of time for lifestyle. Let me be clear about that. I carve out time for training, meditation, my family, yoga. I eat dinner with my, my, my wife and my daughter every single night at the same time. I do not miss that. Um, yeah. I don't work on weekends really anymore. I'm, I'm pretty well balanced, but I'm optimizing for money. In other words, yeah. I could take longer leave periods, I could take more holidays, I could do all these things, but I choose not to because of the phase of life. So back to your question, mm-hmm. I choose to focus most of my sort of available time on building my business, contributing to my business, optimizing my business, optimizing my investment knowledge, optimizing my investments, understanding more about that stuff. That's how I tend to do it. Now, that's not for everybody. I need to be really clear about this. That will change in my life. It might change in a month. It's not going to last forever. But I think that's how I sort of do it as I go, well, what am I optimizing for in my life stage?" And then, yeah. that that flow, that, that helps like flow in terms of what I'm going to be doing, because other times yeah. in my life, I might be optimizing for mental health. Like It's happened. We had a massive loss, my wife and I, last year. And there was a short period. It wasn't very long, but it was about six weeks where that's what I was optimizing for. I was optimizing for mental health because I had to be there for my wife, for my daughter, for my business partners in that space. So then everything I was doing was around meditation. I got deep back into stoicism. I got deep back into Eckhart Tolle and I was optimizing for that. So hopefully that answers your question. It's kind of like, I ask myself, what am I optimizing for? And then I go there.
0: I think that's, that's uh, you said it was a roundabout. I think it was just a bang on answer to that question is you can't uh, boil the ocean, right? When it comes to knowledge and curiosity, you can't boil the ocean. You have to pick, even if it's temporarily, something to interest you and then yeah. go deep. Don't go wide, go deep. And then once you get there, you're like, oh, I'm too deep. Cool, pull out and do something else. That's cool.
1: Totally, totally. And I think, you know, I think, and this is maybe speaking to myself, but, but just for anyone that's listening is don't be scared. About not having some super inspirational romantic um, purpose at a given time mm. or, or what you're optimizing for. You know, I had to get over this thing of like thinking that my purpose needed to be this incredibly inspiring romantic thing. Maybe your purpose yeah. is just to like not have a shit life. Maybe your purpose <laughs> yeah. is, like, is like just don't have another drink. Like whatever, it doesn't have to be this deep, hardcore amazing thing. What's more important yeah. is that it's articulated. Um, in my experience. um, And it can evolve. You can articulate it and it can change. Because it can evolve. That's why it doesn't have to be so romantic is because it will evolve. Yes. I mean, you know this because you've been through it, but I guarantee it's axiomatic that it will evolve. It it, it will happen, right?
0: hundred percent. It's why one of my uh, 10 Nickisms at the moment is strong opinions loosely held.
1: Oh, yeah, you know, totally
0: and verbalize, verbalize what it is you believe in. But then if the facts change, if your life changes, if your situation changes, yeah, yeah. it's okay to change your mind. In fact, it's a sign of strength when you can look at a fact and go, holy shit, I was wrong. It's oh, not man. a sign of weakness changing your mind.
1: Amen. Amen, dude. It's a, It's been a struggle in my life because I'm, I'm a high ego person by, by, by nature. So I've, I've had to fight and mm. work with this ego my whole life. And that's one of the big things that, that I've really, that's really helped me is, is literally that statement. It's it's been a very powerful statement for me, um, is that it's okay to have a strong opinion and then let go of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Mike, I don't wanna keep you for too much longer, but uh, there's some interesting, fun questions that maybe you can uh, give us some shorter, punchier answers to. So what's changed in your life that you thought never would?
1: Um, I've become a pretty damn disciplined person and I never, ever thought that would happen. I'm I'm like that's a super a disciplined point. human being now. And that's just, you speak to my teachers at school and they would be like, nah, not that guy.
0: <laughs> that's great. Um, what strongly held belief do you no longer hold?
1: Yeah, so this is quite a personal one, um, but I think yeah. it's around building a tribe around myself and my immediate family. I, I never thought that that was something that I needed or wanted. I thought it was a bit of a farce. I thought it was about drinking beers around a braai and not really mm. of any value. I've completely changed that. Like, it's something that has become a very big part of what I believe is very important for me to do is is building this tribe of people that you can properly depend on in a very deep sense. Um, So, that's been a massive shift because that's like, I don't know, 180 on
0: that. Like, when that shift happened, do you remember the moments?
1: no, but but I mentioned that we had a loss last year. I mean, it's not a secret. My wife and I lost mm. a um, lost a baby, but in a very hardcore, in a very hardcore mm. manner. And we're in Australia, and there's no one here really with us. And we're not really people that need people. We're we're quite we're actually quite secluded people. Mm. It wasn't that we like needed support. It just became really obvious to us. It was just like shit, man. This is hectic. We've just we've got no mm. one. And and I think yeah, secluded. In fact, I know what the moment was now that you've actually catalyzed it. Mm. My aunt had some, her closest family live in Sydney and they were going to come and visit us uh, over Christmas. And my aunt was just really looking forward to spending time with, with this family because it was after this really horrible thing and she just wanted to be with, with, with her aunt who she's very close to. And then there was a massive outbreak in the northern beaches in Sydney and they couldn't come. And my wife was like really, really upset And I think that's what actually, now that you mentioned it, I think that's where it manifested. Mm. Where I was like, shit, there's no one else. And I was like, geez, Mike, maybe you've been wrong about this. Maybe maybe you do need a tribe around you. Um, And I've been thinking about that and working on that a lot. And I've realized it's actually a really fundamentally important thing for humans is to have this tribe. We've always had it. We've always needed it. So why am I so fucking special that I don't need it? Like I'm not, you know? Agreed.
0: And I want to add to that because my, my personal experience with friends, relationships, families has always been complex. I've always been a loner. I've always been independent and you know self, uh, self-soothing. Um, but I think the key thing that I've wanted to tell people and I do very aggressively is you get to choose your tribe. You get to choose them. Just because you were born into a family doesn't mean that that's your tribe. Just because you've got high school friends doesn't mean that those people are your tribe. In fact, if you still have your high school friends when you're a 60-year-old billionaire, I kind of think there's something wrong with you because have you evolved or did you all evolve together? Like, it's weird to me, but the key totally. message is you get to choose your tribe. You choose yep. who you want to be around. Even yep. your family, you choose your family, man. I don't believe you're born into this blood idea. You get to choose who you spend your time with.
1: I I agree 100%. I'm, I'm lucky that my family is... Um they're awesome. I mean, they're they're certainly not uh, it's not not easy. I mean, you can imagine four of me in a room. You know, I've got these four brothers. It's not <laughs> going to go down well. Not that we're the same. We're so different. But but I agree hundred percent. And and I've made these very difficult decisions with with that. Is that the way that I that I've phrased this to people is? I had this realization that just because I've been friends with you for twenty years doesn't actually mean we're adding value to each other's lives. That that's not enough of a reason for me anymore. Um, yeah. and, but it takes courage to do that because you feel like an arsehole. You, you are being an arsehole, but you're probably yeah. doing the other person a favor as well, because it's unlikely if they're not adding value to you, you're probably not adding value to them either. Mm-hmm.
0: Have you, have you come across the Lindy effect ever?
1: No, I haven't.
0: So the Lindy effect um, suggests that the longer something has been in existence, the longer it will be in existence for. Right. So if there is a bestseller that's been around for 10 years, you can almost guarantee it will be around for another 10 years. If it hits that 10 years, it'll almost be around for another 20 years and so on. Yeah. I believe that the Lindy effect does not work with relationships. It's one of the few places that because you have been around my life for 10 years, it does not mean you will be around my life for the next 10 years.
1: Yeah. Because because people change, right? People do change yep. and evolve. Or they don't. And, or they don't, right? Um, but I remember, I mean, I, I've done a lot of work on this stuff and there's a... Um, there's a particular thing that I went on a couple of years ago and there was a really intensive weekend of like self-observation and self-work and shadow work. And at the end of it, they sort of sat us down and they said, Don't make any big decisions for the next year. Because you've just been on this process. Your partner, your business partner, your wife, your husband, your whatever probably hasn't. But just think about this first. And it just the point I'm why I'm raising that is because It kind of got me thinking like, wow, like one weekend and somebody can come out of this and go, I'm divorcing you, I'm leaving you, I'm changing jobs and I'm moving to Kazakhstan. Like after one weekend, one weekend (laughs) can do that to somebody. It just like, we change, we are so malleable and we are so not fixed, you know, not static. Mm. And it just, it really got me thinking Mm. like, wow, we're a whole lot, we're a whole lot less sort of set than we think we are.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Mike, what do you wish someone told you when you were just starting out?
1: Yeah. So I think, I mean, this I'll give a short answer, but this could be a whole episode in itself again. um, Don't worry about the goals, focus on the process. Just don't worry about the goals, focus on the process, do what you have to do now, do it again tomorrow, again, the next day, again, the next day, be consistent. The goals will take care of themselves.
0: Yeah, the, um, the uh, side hustle version of that for me that I try and tell people I coach through their businesses is go choose your favorite YouTuber and go and watch their first YouTube video. Yep. Go see how shit it was and then watch their process because the process is the way, like the obstacle is the way, that's the way it is.
1: Totally. Um,
0: and then finally, what, what are you most curious about right now? Could literally be anything.
1: Yeah, so I think this is not particularly exciting, but just, we're going through a really awesome process in our business, which is finally figuring out after nine years what we are actually very, very well positioned to do. So actually beginning mm. to have a specialization and a focus in our business. That has been an incredibly difficult journey um, to go through. And I think what I'm most curious about now is, is that. So in our business, it's we've figured out that we are very, very well positioned to focus on the fintech vertical, vertical. So I've just become Mm -hmm. ludicrously curious about fintech. I cannot get enough information about fintech. Not particularly exciting, but I think what what I'm trying to demonstrate here is that once there's a focus that comes into focus, once there's something that comes into focus, the way my brain works is there's a a sort of switch that goes off and now it's just curiosity. Just give me information Mm -hmm. about everything.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, So Mike, tell my listeners where they can find you, where they can follow you, um, and anything else you want to share with them.
1: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm pretty busy on LinkedIn. That's my preferred channel. Um, so you can just search for me. My name's Mike Scott. My, my actual LinkedIn sort of handle is just linkedin.com forward slash Mike Adam Scott. Um, otherwise go to our website, which is www.nona.digital. Um, yeah, but hit me up on LinkedIn and uh, I'm pretty active, so I'll probably reply.
0: Awesome. Mike, thank you so much for your time and sharing your curiosity. And I can't wait to see what you guys bring out in the next
1: couple of years. Yeah, Nick, thanks for having me. That was a super cool conversation. You're doing great stuff.
0: Ditto. Thank you, man.
1: Thank you for listening to the Curious Cult podcast,
0: the show where we talk to incredible people about their fascinating curiosity. If you like this episode, please rate the show, like it, share it, and generally be kind to us and tell people about it. My goal is to spark curiosity that changes the world. And you can help by talking about the show to anyone who will listen. Stay curious. Until next time.